We'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Today we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 19. Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. One of the fruits of genuine faith is thankfulness, gratitude in your hearts to God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of Christ. We know that from Romans chapter 10. Hearing the Word, embracing the Word, overflows in gratitude, thankfulness. If I'm not thankful, then I ought to be questioning, is the Word dwelling richly in me? Today in Luke, we see an example of true faith that reflects itself in genuine thankfulness, gratitude. The difference between just doing things religiously and doing things in faith. True faith results in thankfulness and obedience. And so let's look at the text Together, if you would stand as I read along. Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you. We've sung great truths about you today. We just look to your word Your word is truth, Lord. It is a gift to us. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. As we gather here in this place, free to lift our voices to you, bound by your spirit, bound to Christ, we have so much, so much to be thankful for, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would help me to preach with gratitude and thankfulness. That you would help us to receive your word with gratitude and thankfulness. That you would help us to remember the gospel. And in remembering the gospel and embracing the gospel, we would be a thankful people, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
Well, verse 11 tells us that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem and he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Now, whether this is a chronological account or as Luke gives us in Luke 1.3, an orderly account, we don't know. But it's purposeful. It's here on purpose. It's placed here by Luke on purpose. Luke has just recorded in verses 5 and 6 the story of the mustard seed where Jesus teaches that God is not dependent on our faith. And then following that, verses 7 through 10, the story of unworthy servants showing that God is not dependent upon our works. And now he gives this account of ten lepers showing that true faith, even the size of a mustard seed, and true servanthood of Christ is not absent of thankfulness. It is filled with gratitude and thankfulness and praise and worship. There's gratitude in believing and in serving the Lord. The servant of Christ realizes what has happened to him or to her and responds with thankfulness in faith. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And verse 12 tells us as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Now this is not really unusual that there would be lepers outside of the village or outside of the village gate. Lepers were obligated by law to keep their distance, and that's what they're doing here. So it's likely that they were cast out of the village. We see that especially in the case that we know that one of them is a Samaritan. The Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans had the same feeling towards Jews. However, in this case, we have this group where nine are Israelites and one a Samaritan, which is likely because here are ten people who have been ostracized from community. They have been rejected. They have been kicked out of the village. And so even in this mixture of culture, of one culture hating another culture, they're without anyone. And so they come together and gather together and they are all that they would have of anyone else in the world. It tells us in the text that they stood at a distance. Leviticus 13 verses 45 and 46 says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. That's what we see here with these ten ostracized from community. The purpose of this was because they were ceremonially unclean. The temple rejected them. They were not welcome there. And not only were they unclean, but if they touched someone or something, they would make that person or that thing ceremonially unclean. So they were told to keep a distance, keep away from. But it's important for us to remember what we already know about Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. 
This wasn't always the case. It wasn't always the case that lepers kept their distance from Jesus or vice versa, that Jesus kept his distance from lepers. Jesus is the true and better temple. In Luke 5, verses 12 and 13, it says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus does not reject even the lepers. And just as in Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 10, he could, or in Luke chapter 17, he could have touched the 10 lepers here. He would have been fine. Their uncleanness, our uncleanness does not rub off on Jesus. He, in Luke 5, embraced the leper. And for us, those of us who know him, He embraced our uncleanness on the cross. And yet He is holy. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us God made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He embraced uncleanness even by the fact that He came to this earth, embraced And ultimately on the cross was made to be sin. It goes on in Luke 17, verse 13. They kept a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That word master refers to someone who possesses authority and power. You notice all ten of them refer to him this way. All ten referring to Jesus as one who has authority and power. Master. Jesus. Master. And not only that, they all cry for mercy. Which is interesting. Because the word mercy is different than grace, right? Grace we talked about uh, last week. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. It's getting better than you deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you do deserve. And so if they mean the word mercy when they're saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, what they're saying is, I know I deserve this. But please have mercy. For the sinner to pray that prayer rightly, have mercy on me, they're acknowledging, I know I deserve your judgment, but please have mercy. Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These ten ask Jesus to have mercy on the meaning. Please take away this disease. Take away this uncleanness. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And they've come to the right place. If they go to the old temple, they will be rejected. 
But they've come to the right place. They've come to the new and the better temple, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't reject them. He sends them, go to the priest. He's merciful. Jeremiah reminds us in Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And these ten men experience mercy together. Again, notice that Jesus never touches them. He just speaks to them. Simply speaks to them, sending them to the priest. That was what was required by the law. They would go to the priest, and the priest would determine whether they were clean or unclean. And if they were clean, then he would declare them clean, and then they would be accepted back into society that had rejected them. They would no longer be outcasts. And so they are doing, Jesus is sending them to do what was required. But why doesn't he touch them? In this case, why doesn't he touch them in Luke chapter 17 like he touches the leper in Luke 5? Is Jesus less compassionate here? No. So why why doesn't he touch him here? He shows the power in his word. Consider it in light of the text leading into this, verses 5 and 6. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. And Jesus here simply speaks and the impossible happens. What he's doing is telling them to act as if they've already been cured. They haven't. There's no physical evidence that they have been cleansed yet. When he says, just go and present yourself to the priest, they are still covered in leprosy. Faith, like a mustard seed, go and show yourself. When that's combined with God's will, revealed through his word, he spoke to them. It results in far more abundant than all that we could ask or imagine. Trees uprooted and planted in the sea. At the word of Jesus, the impossible happens. And it says there in verse 14, as they went, they were cleansed. Just a simple, short statement there. As they went, they were cleansed. Luke states it so casually. Imagine, though, imagine being the ten, turning and going, obeying what Jesus has just told you to do, going to the priest, going toward the priest at least, and all of a sudden, instantly, everything's different. You feel different. Instantly, you're looking at one another and you look different. No more scars, no more signs of leprosy. You're clean. You're clean. You're healed. You're restored. You're renewed instantly. What would you do if you were one of the ten? 
How would you respond? What would you be thinking? What would you do if you turn and at the word of Jesus, you go and you're doing what he's told you to do and instantly you're made new? Luke tells us what these ten do. Nine of them never change their course. They keep heading to the priest. They're law abiders. They're going to follow the rules. But one turns back. Verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. When he sees that he's healed, he goes to the one who healed him. Luke tells us he goes back praising God with a loud voice. Now, I think that is interesting and important. How did that affect the other nine? There's ten going together to the priest. They're healed. When they realize they're healed, one of them turns to go back to Jesus. And Luke tells us that with a loud voice, he begins to praise and glorify God. Now, certainly he didn't sneak away. Certainly if he's praising God with a loud voice, it's noticeable to the nine others. So, what did they do? How did they respond to him? Were they unmoved as he began to praise the Lord and return back and go to Jesus? Was it just, no, let's stay the course, let's stay the course, let's stay the course. This is what we're supposed to do, this is what we do, this is what we do, this is what we do, just stay the course. Gratitude is awakened in the one. Look at the similarities of these ten up to this point. All are miserably afflicted and unclean. All ten want mercy. They all cry out for mercy. All had heard about Jesus and believed that he might be able to help. All refer to Jesus as master. That's what they called him. All go to the priest as he commands. And all are healed externally. But only one, only one turns to Christ in thankfulness. Compare that with the previous text, verses 7 through 10, where you have this servant, this unworthy servant, and likely who's just serving, doing his duty, doing his duty, and it doesn't tell us anything in there about gratitude or thankfulness to the master. Those who truly believe are thankful. These texts belong together. Jesus is not saying in verses 7 through 10 that we just go through the motions. We can't separate serving the Lord from thankfulness, from gratitude. We are unworthy servants, and we are the most thankful people on the planet. We serve the Lord with gladness. We serve the Lord with thankful hearts. 
this one of ten receives more than physical healing. He's thankful. Maybe the nine assumed that they were doing their duty, just like the unworthy servant in seven through ten. But they lacked love. They lacked gratitude toward God. Only one loved Jesus. Only one turned to Jesus. This is a picture here for us as you take this whole scene of common grace. Grace that is shown to all of mankind. Common grace being shown to these ten lepers. Outward cleansing. They didn't deserve that. Jesus gives them more than they deserve. That's grace. And one of them, only one, receiving the word of Christ, believing in him, turns to him with thankfulness in his heart. And he receives more than physical healing. He receives salvation, inward healing. Now he's a worshiper of Jesus. He gets more than a better life, more than being accepted into society. He gets eternal life. It says in verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. In verse 16, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. What a wonderful picture. Wonderful picture of thankfulness and saving faith. He turns to Jesus. He falls on his face in humility and submission. That's the picture of falling on your face. That's humility, that's submission. And he worships the Lord Jesus. Gives thanks to God through Christ. That's a picture of saving faith. Of coming to Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Being cleansed by Jesus. There's a heart change that takes place here. It's not just dutiful obedience. Going to the priest like you're told. Going to church like you're told. But responding to the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. And finding there more than a better life where you can be accepted into society and live in society the way that you wish you could live in society. All ten got that. The other nine got that. They're going to be accepted back into society. They're going to have a better life than they had before. But this one receives eternal life. It's more important to him to be accepted by God than it is to be accepted by people. We're told as a note he was a Samaritan. What a wonderful picture. We see it again and again and again and again in Luke. The kingdom of God going forth to all nations, all peoples. The one who would be least expected to turn and give thanks to Jesus turns and gives thanks to Jesus. The one who was an outcast among outcasts believes and turns and surrenders to Jesus 
beautiful picture of saving grace. Grace, grace, grace. Verse 17 and 18, Jesus responds. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus asked these questions. Where are the others? Did I not heal ten? And only one returns in thankfulness? Only one returns in submission? Only one filled with gratitude? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Why? Why Why didn't the other nine return? Why is it just one out of these ten who return? We, we have to speculate. We can only speculate why. It could be that they just didn't really genuinely understand the depth of their uncleanness. These men, all ten of them, needed more than outward cleaning. They needed to be saved. It could be that as Israelites, they just assumed they were fine with God. They were Israelites. Just like today, people attend church. Of course we're Christians. I was born a Christian. This is a Christian country. This is a Christian town. Of course I'm a Christian. Did they know Jesus? Maybe they assumed they deserved the healing. They're Israelites. And maybe unlike the servant, the unworthy servant in 7 through 10, maybe they do believe God owed them something. They're Israelites. Why would God make them like that? Maybe God, in their mind, owed them this healing. Maybe they're so absorbed in the gift that they neglect the giver. They're happy in the healing, but not in the healer. Ultimately, they didn't have true faith. They didn't have faith that turned to Jesus, submitted to Jesus, found joy and thankfulness in Jesus. They're lost. And so, verse 19, Jesus says to this one, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Now, that phrase there is used, especially the the word for well there, is used over and over and over and over again in the Gospels. And it doesn't mean just healed from this infirmity, this sickness. It means saved. Your faith has saved you. Two examples, Luke 7, verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Same expression as we have here in Luke 17. Go in peace. Luke eight twelve. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
be made well. This is salvation that Jesus is talking about here. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has cleansed you. You're not just clean on the outside. You're clean on the inside. You're not just accepted now in society by people. You have been accepted by God because you believed in Jesus. Beautiful. His sins are forgiven. Life has just begun for him. He's accepted by God. What do we see here in this text? Especially concerning this one who comes back, this one who comes to Jesus in faith. We see that genuine faith shows itself. Genuine faith does something. It shows itself. It just doesn't go through motions, going to church, going to the priest, doing this, doing this, doing this. It shows itself. There's change. There's thankfulness. There's gratitude. True faith understands the condition that it was in. Paul encourages the Ephesians in Ephesians to remember that at one point you were uncircumcised. You were lost. You were separated from Christ. Remember that. Remember that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Remember what you were apart from Christ. True faith understands that cleanness comes by way of of another. This cleanness did not come because he was going to the priest, because he was doing his religious duty. Cleanness came because of Jesus. True faith responds with undying gratitude and joy expressed in praise and worship of its Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you don't truly know and love Jesus. My prayer for you today is that you would know the joy and gratitude of this one who turned back in the text. Thankfulness. That you would know that. Just think about the simplicity of this text that displays saving faith. The man simply responded to Jesus. In faith, he recognized that Jesus worked, not him. He turned to Jesus and worshipped Jesus with a thankful heart. Jesus had done something to make him clean. And he responds to Jesus. Those who didn't find salvation were going through the motions. They were going to the priest just like the Today, people go to church, go through religious motions, doing what they're told, but they don't, they don't trust in Jesus. I would ask you today, if you don't know him, do you understand and believe that Jesus has done something to make you clean? That Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and laid down his life on the cross, was punished on the cross for the transgressions of those who would trust in him, those who would believe in him. He never sinned, but was treated as a transgressor for those who would believe. He did something 
to make you clean. And what Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 10, starting with verse 9, is this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know Him and you believe what you've heard this morning, that I would, I would encourage you, go to the prayer room. You go straight out through the lobby into the room in the back. Wade and Terry Wilde will be there. Would love to pray with you. Even as we prepare to sing, just slip out as everyone stands up. Just slip out and go to the prayer room. With thankfulness in your heart, surrender your life to Jesus. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, you know him, I would ask you, are you thankful? Are you thankful? Is your life characterized by faith displayed in gratitude and thankfulness to God? Paul writes again to the Colossians, Colossians 3, 15 and 16, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He writes earlier in Colossians, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Are we thankful? Are we thankful? Are we grateful? We have received far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. We're clean, we're saved, rescued, united with God the Father through Jesus Christ, bound together to one another by the Spirit. We are no longer lost, we are found, and we will be with Christ forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Are we a thankful people. A means of thankful fellowship with Christ is through the Lord's Supper. Consider what Paul says, okay? If what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, where he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood or in the body of Christ? If, if that's true, each and every time we partake of the Lord's Supper together, if that is true, 
that it is a genuine participation, a fellowship with Christ. And the times that we take communion together should be times of true thankfulness, joy. Like the leper cleansed of his spots, we come to Jesus remembering him and bowing our hearts before him, proclaiming his praise. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, we proclaim his death until he comes each and every time we partake of the bread and the cup. Should be times of thankfulness, should be times of joy, not just religiosity, but joy, remembering gratefully the body and blood of Jesus. Let's prepare our hearts even as we sing for that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. You are so good to us. And we are not grateful enough, Lord. We could not muster enough gratefulness and thankfulness to be thankful enough. You have set us free. You've saved us. There's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. You've welcomed us as sons and daughters, bestowed on us grace and forgiveness forever and ever. We stand before you pure and holy and blameless because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. We pray that you would stir in us, Lord, affections, stir in us thankfulness, Lord. It comes from deep within us, from genuine faith. Help us to walk in it. Help us to demonstrate it to others, Lord, because you're worthy. Like this leper, we bow before you in worship and praise and thanksgiving. We pray in Christ's name these things. Amen.